Welcome to TTM Cast One on One with Jeff Baker. Every Wednesday, we'll bring one on one interviews with hobby professionals, former athletes, authors, and collectors. Sponsored by Certified Sports Guarantee. Go to csgcards.com for sports card grading for the win. And by sportscollectorsdaily.com. If it happens in the hobby, you'll find it on sportscollectorsdaily.com. And sponsored by gemrate.com. The latest grading statistic from the four major grading companies is just a click away. Visit gemrate.com. It's free. Sponsored by Collects. The free app that shows you the value of your card collection. Scan and catalog your cards, follow other users, and buy and sell with other collectors. That's Collex, C-O-L-L-X. And now, here's our host, Jeff Baker. Hello, everybody, and welcome to TTM Cast One-on-One. It is Wednesday, April 19th. My name is Jeff Baker, talking to you from Boston, Massachusetts, joined by my friend and co-host from Dallas, Texas, Drew Pelto, Mr. DFW Graffer himself on YouTube and Twitter and all over the place. Hey, Drew. Hey, good to be here, as always. You working on a new video? I got one posted up just the other day, and, uh, well, I got some... TTM's in yesterday, so I will have at least a little bit of content to go into this week's video. Yeah, I've got two so far. I, I got really shut out last week, so I, mm-hmm. I got two two in two days, which isn't bad. Uh, hopefully, we'll get, get some more. The, the TTM's have been slow. Yep. Maple syrup slow, you know? <laughs> yep. I've, I've, I, once again, I'm doing just the opposite. I had five that came in yesterday, including uh, three with set hits, one that was a just for the hell of it, and one was another Hall of Famer rookie card. So uh, Yeah, I saw the... I saw the Ron Mix one. That was a good one. Yeah, there was. That was a nice card. Well, Drew, we have uh, Lee Dunbar on today. We're going to talk a little appraisal. Lee works for uh, PBS Antiques Roadshow. She is the lead uh, appraiser there. She also has her own uh, company that she does appraising uh, for. And we're going to talk to Lee about um, what goes on with appraising, why you should get stuff appraised, talk about some of the cool stuff she's appraised, some of the scene, things she's seen on PBS uh, Antiques Roadshow. It's really a fun interview, so stick around for that. You know what? The more and more we talk about our hobby, we start getting into the business end of it and the and courts and all the not fun stuff, you know? Yep, yep. We got the big one, of course, I think that everyone knows by now. The elephant in the room is the... Uh... Everything with Panini and Fanatics right now, yeah. Yeah, they're kind of like I don't know, like two cousins that 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 went into business together. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not that they did go to business together, but now they they're fighting uh, about every little thing. I guess you know it's kind of it's kind of weird, isn't it? Yeah, and I mean they even did have a little bit of a partnership there for a while. I mean Fanatics, if you go on their website, is always selling Panini products, mostly yeah. because I mean Panini was the only producer for basketball and football at the very least, and a couple other sports, so kind of had to go through them, but still it's like, I mean, you'd think things would go better when they have that kind of a working relationship. But now it's like, well, I mean, yeah, you see the stuff with, uh, you know, stuff being lawsuits being filed, uh, people changing, uh, going from Panini over to Fanatics, all this other stuff going on. It's like, whoa, um, guys, let's all join hands in Kumbaya here or something. No, I mean, I well, let's, let's figure this can't out. We, can't we all just get along? If you, if yeah, you don't, exactly. if, you, if you've been under a, a rock for the last two weeks, um, about what twenty five or thirty people went over from uh, Panini to Fanatics in the in the in the course of what two or three days, right? Yeah, it was about the span of a full week, approximately, from the first to the last one, maybe even a little over a week. But uh, according to the reports there that I saw from Adam Rovell, was it Darren Rovell? It was I think thirty four people have left the company 
I know who 24 of them are that have been made public. I don't know about the other 10 or so, but yeah, there have been a lot that have made that move over there. Well, a te Texas judge has ordered fanatics and some former Panini employees it hired to cooperate with the request to turn over anything that may have been violating Texas state secret trade secret laws. And but it didn't prevent fanatics from hiring more former Panini workers. So really that this telling these people that went over, be good, don't steal anything. If you took anything, give it back, right? Yeah. And uh just be careful because right now uh no one's going to jail. No one's getting, no injunctions are going to be uh, issued where we're going to ask you to pay, behave like adults, right? And not yeah. behave like little kids. And uh, I think that's kind of where it stands right now until Panini, I guess, can prove that they've been harmed um, in a business sense by some of the former employees that now work fanatics that have taken or... Uh, inadvertently stolen i'm gonna say they didn't do it on purpose right that they just that they had you know like when you when when you leave a company i mean i you know i took my rolodex i have all my stuff that i worked on and and you don't think of that as being belonging to the, your former employee but i guess it does right to some degree couldn't i mean especially in something like this when you have uh the group from uh, what do you call acquisitions they're going to have contact info for like every agent, for every league, for every player just about in there. And a lot of that was probably in the system before some of those people arrived. I mean, yeah, they probably added some on their own too. So, you, you know, you might be able to make a case of something like that on there. But I'm far from a legal scholar. I'm definitely not the one to ask. I was about to get right. involved. Let's go on it or something. But uh, yeah, it's just, I mean, there's a lot of different things you could cite on this because, I mean, number one, I don't know what Texas trade secrets law exactly is. Right. That's all. very I, vague, I isn't it? it? Yeah. It's very vague. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of stuff you can claim as being a trade secret, quote unquote, and it's, okay, would the average person recognize as a trade secret? Would a court recognize as a trade secret? Would those involved in the business itself called a trade secret? And you're going to get a different answer from all three of those people, I would think, on some things. So it's hard to know for just, you know, an ordinary civilian looking at it from the outside. I mean, even me as somebody who is a Panini employee, just for full disclosure on there, even I don't know what would count as like a trade secret in there. I don't think there's anything that I use in my position there that would be a trade secret, but I really honestly don't know. Yeah, I, I, I don't know either. And, and I guess it's going to it's going to be on Panini's onus, right, that the, that they that these people either took something and they knew they took it or they took it and they didn't realize they took it. And it was, you know, it was a, a trade secret, quote unquote. Uh, I think more to come. Right. Would you say more to come? Yes, absolutely more to come. Everything I've seen, I think it was. Uh... Uh, Rich Mueller over at Sports Collectors Daily. He's been following this all this whole time. And just I think he's been doing the best it. in terms of reporting on it. Absolutely. He and Paul Lesko are kind of the top two go-to people on this, as far as I'm concerned. And he mentioned something, I believe it was in his article, about another uh, about the next phase of, the, of all this coming up. I think like May 1st or somewhere around there, there's going to be some kind of uh, actual meeting with a judge or something like that. I don't remember exactly how it was where you can check out his article, obviously, for uh, the specifics on there. But I know there's more to come early part of May. I think this is just kind of a, Panini was looking for like an injunction on it, a, a restraining order type of a thing. The court said no, but we're going to continue with it outside of that portion of it. So. Yeah. And as a collector, as a kind of outside looking in, I know you, you, you have a horse in the race, but you know, I, I'm just a collector. We're just looking at it as how is this going to affect us as collectors? 
and, and hopefully in the end it gives us a better product right we get we get better cards we get better better uh products for, from fanatics and maybe panini comes up with new and, and different things that are that that are um and more interesting to collect or, or something that i might want to collect and, and uh, you know, we get two great companies built out of this, and and that's the goal, right? As a collector, as somebody that that's looking at it from the outside in, uh, you know, Fanatics is obviously building some type of monopoly, and that that's a problem, right? That could that could potentially be a problem. Um, you know, Upper Deck is still there. Panini has is going to have its place, but um, you know, with the bit with Big Three, basically with basketball, football, and baseball all under one roof, and Fanatics. Um, they're going to be able to do whatever they want in a lot of instances, but that's five years down the road, right? Three to five years down the road. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, three more, three to even maybe up as many as 10 years. I know there's a few things that Panini has in place for like the next 10 years. So they've got at least something they'll be operating on in the United States for a little while yet. So it's kind of a wait and see, and hopefully both companies come out stronger from, from this and, and uh, you know, we well wishes to everyone. We don't. We want the guys that worked at Panini and went to Fanatics, and they have a gr great life and help build a great company. And, and Panini, the new people that are coming in, they help Panini build a, a great company, and they have, uh, you know, they have other things that they can do other than than basketball and football because the there there's certainly um, other things out there that we might not even be talking about and i think i would forget who i was talking about but, you know maybe maybe um you know pickleball becomes becomes the <laughs> the thing to collect you know what i mean and i'm just yep. using that as a as a far off thing but you you don't know you don't know what what's going to capture the imagination of the collector and the young kids coming in and they might want other things than you know basketball and football and that something might turn their attention to another way so you don't know just because it looks doesn't look that great for panini right now three years from now it might be the best thing that ever happened to panini you don't you know i mean you don't know it's still it's still it's business right you don't know exactly i mean you have to keep flexible you have to always look for what's going to be the next big thing and jump on that and i mean that's always the way it is in every area i mean fanatics when they bought this up cards were in a gigantic boom when they got all the licensing there you saw that whole you know covid boom there of 2020 into 2021 Got kind of a funny story I'll tell you later about that and how I may have inadvertently caused all this myself. But uh, <laughs> there was, yeah, there's this, uh, I mean, you had this big boom. Phoenix jumped on it and you've seen some prices of some stuff that was going very high kind of dropping off a bit. I mean, one of my go-to examples is if you look at the uh, 2017 Prism Patrick Mahomes rookie card, that thing graded at a PSA 9 before he won a Super Bowl back in like, we're talking about what, 2018, 2019 there, 2019, 2020, something like that was like maybe 200 bucks you could get for it, maybe 300 at most. After he won a Super Bowl in a PSA or PSA or Beckett nine, that thing was going up into the thousands. And now you're seeing like the Beckett nines going back down like, like five, six, 700 again. So it's a volatile market. I mean, fanatics jumped on it when they could, but now it's starting to fall off a little bit. So everybody's gonna be looking for the next big thing in trading cards and just in anything itself, any kind of sports collectibles. And well, right, the ball's in right, fanatics court right now. Let's see what they can do. To look at it from Fanatics' standpoint, they just spent millions and millions, tens of millions of dollars, hundreds of millions of dollars, maybe, on all these uh, rights fees that I don't know when they're due. But um, you know, they, they've got three or four years before that they're, they're going to be able to recoup anything from it. And now they're investing all this money in new uh, on these Panini employees that went over to Fanatics, and then they have to do infrastructure and, and printing plate presses and all the other stuff they have to 
do to, to produce these cards. So they're going to have a huge outlay of money before they can recoup any of their investment or a lot of their investment. So it'll be interesting to see, you, you know, you know what happens, God forbid, that we go into a, a deep recession or even a depression in three years. You know, what what is Fanatics going to look like? And Panini might be just sitting there like, OK, I, I'm lean and mean and I, I you know, I, I can absorb this. But Fanatics, who has just invested hundreds of millions of dollars there, they, they, they might be choking, choking on it. See, you really don't know. Right. You you just right. don't know. Yeah. I mean, there's a major, major uh, initial investment they have to make on there. And if they can float by on, you know, a couple of losses for a couple of years, then, hey, they're going to be golden there for the next 20 after that. But it just comes down to those two letters. If. Yeah, well, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll report what's going on. We'll give our opinions on it. We're, um, we're, you know, we're, we're very interested, obviously, as collectors. And, and Drew, as they said, Drew works for Panini and he, he works in the graphics department. So uh, he, he, he has definitely a horse in the race and um, we'll, we'll, we'll see how it all uh, falls out. But I, th- I don't think, I think we're still a wait and see. And, 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 you know, we might not know how this is going to affect us as collectors and, and you personally for three to five years. So hey, uh, you know what? You you had a big you got a big weekend coming up. A lot of a lot of uh, col- uh, collection stuff and a lot of autographs coming up. Yeah, it's actually uh, Sunday will be my birthday. So happy um, birthday uh, to you! Thank you. Yeah, <laughs> I was going gonna wait to wait till Saturday a, uh, to say happy birthday, but we'll <laughs> we'll do it today. Yeah, yeah. So uh, yeah, going out to a baseball game there on Sunday. So uh, see Arkansas at Frisco. So getting some autographs there from the Mariners and Rangers Double A prospects. Saturday night, I've got a signing that I'm going out to. I don't want to say too much about it right now. Excuse me, right now, but uh, hopefully I'll have an autograph talk about there on uh, probably a week from today when we do the next TTM cast one-on-one. So it'll be after we record the regular TTM cast show. And then on Friday, going out to a lacrosse game, the uh, Panther City Lacrosse Club did just clinch a playoff spot with a uh, win this past weekend up in Vancouver. So Jen and I get to go to two more games. We've got one regular season left, and we get free tickets to a playoff game too. So uh yeah, got a got a big weekend of all that kind of stuff going on. Very nice. And you picked up a top laughter box. I'm proud of you. Yeah, I grabbed one uh, just uh, on a whim the other day when we were out at Target. Didn't really get anything great out of it. You know, just the kind of the standard stuff that you get out of each box. I think I had to uh, get the manufactured patch card that's in there. You get uh, the one, uh, what are those, are the stars of MLB or whatever they are, yep. one in each pack, and then a couple parallels there that are run approximately one per box, so... Nothing really great, but I mean, it's there's potential stuff to get signed maybe in there. Yeah, it's still it's still fun to rip some some packs, right? Exactly. Oh yeah, there was uh, did have the Gunnar Henderson rookie card in there at least. So oh, I'm good. Happy with that that's that's uh, so he, he's not he's not really having a bang up first first month or so, but yeah, he <laughs> still has come potential. Around, I hope. Yeah, hope he comes he, around. He, he still has potential. Well, you know what? We 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 wanted to touch on the Panini fanatic stuff, but really we need we need to uh, start with uh, batting lead off and do some hobby happenings. What do you think? Sounds good. All right, time for hobby happenings. Let's get the show started. Leading off, we look at hobby happenings. Smart collectors turn to Sports Collectors Daily to stay up to date. From new releases to incredible collections hitting the auction block, news from inside the business of sports collectibles, and much more, Sports Collectors Daily has it, all with no subscription cost. SC Daily also delivers a live look at the most watched sports card auctions on eBay for every sport. Sign up to get the headlines in your email for free or just visit the website whenever you like. With 16,000 stories in the archive going back 16 years, there's always plenty to read at sportscollectorsdaily.com. How was that? 
That's good. I like it. All right, good. <laughs> well, you, you know what? Uh, we got a lot of stuff out coming from Les this week. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to have uh, him doing an appraisal show this Saturday. So if you have an item that you want Les Wolf to appraise, send it on in. TTMcast at yahoo.com is the email address. He'll give us thoughts on it, give you, you know, approximate value. I've got one I've got to send in here. i got to get some photos here and uh, send those over. So get your items in there as well. So uh, like I said, TTMcast at yahoo.com. Get Les Wolf's thoughts on uh, some of your items. Yeah, and I think I've got I think five or six already. So we've got a lot, nice. a lot for the show. So, but if you do have something you want, like Les to give an appraisal, it's not a, a written appraisal. It's just a an opinion appraisal, but it still gives you an idea of what what something might be worth. Uh, send it on over to our email address at ttmcast at yahoo.com. Well, I, I've been plugging this for a couple of weeks, and I just want to remind everyone, I actually have my meeting with these guys uh, later tonight, and I'm talking about the Bob Feller Active Valor Award. Um, go to activevalorward.org. They have a um, baseball card set that, that they're producing. It's going to be a 39-card set featuring guys that uh, were in um, the service as well as in Major League Baseball. And uh, just looking to pre-order uh, to see how many sets we should produce. Uh, we're not looking; they're not looking for any commitment for any uh, money or anything. That I be we believe I believe the sets are going to be free, and they're just going to be free with some type of donation to the the foundation. So just go to activevalorward.org. You still have a, about a week to to put in your pre-order set, just to give us an idea of how many sets we should produce. So go to activevalorward.org. Drew, we have some uh, rating numbers to report. We do indeed. Got all the info here from the 10th through the 16th of April. So this past uh, week that just went by. TSA down 7% this week, but still 290, excuse me, 290,600 cards going through their offices to be slabbed over that week. SGC up 10%. They saw 27,500 cards that they graded. Beckett getting back more toward normal again. 16,600 cards that they graded. That is a 51% increase from the last week's slow week. CSG down a little bit, 16% drop, still doing 10,200 cards. Yeah, and still a lot, a lot of cards going through the system, which is very good. Hey, we got some new releases. I don't know if you saw this, Drew. Upper Deck is going to be producing some USFL cards. So we just talked about that before. There's other things that are out there, and USFL is, uh, would be great for some T from so TTMs and, and autographing, don't you think, Drew? Absolutely, yeah. Any of those XFL and uh, USFL sets, You'll see a lot of those guys will play in one league and then we'll bounce the other one there too. So if you do any in-person graphing, pick up one, you might see some of those guys in the other league then. Yeah, what that's upper deck's going to do is they're going to produce a box set of the top 25 players in the league and then a five key moments card. So that'll be cool. They're also producing a 16 card preview set that uh, will be out uh, very shortly. So check it out. Go to, you can go to upperdeck.com to learn more about that. But uh, we, Drew and I love the USFL and XFL and, and some of the, uh, the secondary uh leagues that you can get some autographs for so that that's kind of cool yep got some uh, a new tv show to talk about you know we've always talked about the uh show there with uh, matt strom on valley sports about uh, all about cards there but we've got a new one from mlb called carded it's the mlb carded show it's hosted by greg amsinger i've seen it on mlb network i think maybe like mlb.com as well we've got it around a few places keep an eye out for it looks like it would be pretty good it's, i mean nice anytime we can get the hobby onto tv Anytime we can, no matter who it's from. So having a second card show like that on TV is going to be a really great thing for the hobby. I agree. Hey, uh, I don't know if you saw this. Adam Sandler was at the Hofstra show this past weekend. Les wow. Wolf was there and uh, 
Clemente Lise was there as well, and we're gonna we're gonna get a report from Les on Saturday. Adam is doing a new movie, a new baseball card movie. It's a kind of a high end collecting baseball card movie that he he's working on. So I think that it was kind of the first uh, go around in terms of doing some homework for the the movie. So uh, Les Les Sarman, and I believe he he spoke to him. So we're gonna talk to Les on Saturday about yes. that. Some more new releases. This is a fun one. I know too bad you and I can't don't have access to this, but uh, the Tim Horton uh, legend set by Upper Deck is, mm -hmm. is being produced. It's sold at all the Tim Horton uh, restaurants across Canada. They have a cool uh, album that you can get for $19.99 and packs only go for a dollar from April 17th to May 29th. So if you're traveling up to Canada or if you live up to Canada and you're into hockey, Tim Horton restaurants, these cool uh, Tim Horton Legends cards, uh, they look really neat. And I think this is the second year they did them, right, Drew? I think they did them last year as well. Yeah, they've. Uh, I think they've done a few different years, but I think this might be the first time they've done the uh, that Legends Upper Deck set. Now, my question is, is it only the Tim Hortons ones in Canada? Because there are a few places in like Michigan and other uh, border states that do have Tim Hortons in it. Do they offer them up there too? I'm not a hundred percent sure. I saw that it's set across Canada, so okay. I would I would guess they that they would be if there's a other you know if you have relatives in Michigan or up in, mm -hmm. up in uh, on near the border and there's Tim Hortons, I bet you can get I bet you can get the cards for, there as well. That's what I'm hoping at least. I mean, it's going to be a lot easier for me to get up to like Jackson, Michigan, than it is to go over the border into Toronto or something. So I know we you know we have some listeners up in Canada, so we might have to hit, hit up our can our Canadian friends <laughs> and say, guys, help us out with some Tim Horton packs. Yeah. And send a couple of Tim bits down our way too. I mean, just like, I don't know, freeze, freeze them in uh, what we call dry ice there and send them down to us too. Yeah. I don't know. We maybe we can do, we can do, we can do a trade, some type of U.S. thing for some Tim Horton uh, hockey cards, right? Yeah, exactly. We'll figure something out. Got to some Panini contenders hitting the shelves here this week for uh, the Panini contenders 2022 optic set. Going to have six cards with two autographs per box. That's $340 is the price tag on that one. We have the Panini Re Revolution 2022-23 basketball. You get five cards in, in a pack, eight packs. There's going to get four rookies, four inserts, and eight parallels in a box. The boxes are going for about $150. That's Panini Revolution 2022-23 basketball for about $150. Bucks. Got some stuff going on with Panini Soccer as well. Their select set for La Liga, the Spanish League. It's going to be hitting the shelves here. It's got five cards per pack, 12 packs per box. You're going to see three autograph or memorabilia cards in each of those boxes. There's also, it's a select product. It's going to have some uh, nice prism parallels in there as well. $500 is the price tag for the uh, Panini Select 22-23 La Liga. Yeah, this is another one that's out from Panini. It's a 2022 Panini Limited NFL. You get five cards, three packs uh Per box, you get two autos and one memorabilia. The boxes are going for about two hundred and seventy dollars. That's two thousand twenty-two Panini Limited NFL for two thousand two hundred and seventy dollars. For any of you uh, Star Wars fans out there, they've got uh, Tops is coming up with their Star Wars Signature Series set. You get one autograph card in the box. There, eighty dollars on that one. So kind of like the uh, those uh, gambler products we always talk about in baseball or football or wherever there, where you get one card per box. Same thing going on there with Star Wars. Eighty dollars for that. Yep, a couple of shows I want to let you know about our friends at uh, 757 Card Show. They are, this is a Virginia Beach card show. They have a show on May 6th. Uh, they're going to have Bill Madlock, Dwight Gooden, Sid Bream, and uh, uh, what's his name? Nims from the uh, the Redskins that was at the National. Isn't it horrible? Oh, yeah. Uh, Michael Nims. Uh, Nelms. Mike Nelms. Mike Nelms. Mike Nelms. 
Mike yeah, Nelms, thank it. you. Mike Nelms, they are going to be there. It's the 757cardshow.com. They are accepting uh, mail-ins. So go to 757cardshow.com. May 6th is the show. Madlock, Nelms, Dwight Gooden, and Sim Bream. So uh, pretty good lineup, and it's free. If you're in the Virginia Beach area, the car, the show is free. Nice. If you're up in Toronto, we just mentioned uh, Canada just a moment ago. So while you're getting your Tim Hortons, go and check out the Sports Card Expo in Toronto. That's coming up this weekend, April 20th through the 23rd, sportscardexpotoronto.com. That's the address for that one. Big name signers coming up there. You're going to have Mike Richter from the New York Rangers will be out there. Hall of Fame goalie from several teams, Grant Fuhr, most famously with the Edmonton Oilers throughout the 80s. And of course, the giant defenseman, Zdeno Chara, future Hall of Famer. He'll be signing there as well. So once again, this weekend, it's in Toronto at sportscardexpotoronto.com. Yeah, and Chara just ran the Boston Marathon the other day, so you can ask him oh, wow. what it's like to run the marathon at whatever six eleven or however, however tall he is. That must have been something. Well, Drew, uh, I had a we have a, a great interview this week. I had the, the the opportunity, the pleasure to interview Lee Dunbar. Lee is um, one of the lead appraisers for the Antiques Raid Roadshow, and she's the one that does a lot of the, the sports stuff. Um, and we had I had a really great uh, talk with her there, there was one uh, bit of confusion that, and i'm going to blame myself on this we were talking about um the value of the judge 61 and 62 home run balls and we mm -hmm. kind of got mixed up we mixed up that the 62 remember the 62 was one that the guy caught in texas and then he was gonna he, it was worth like three he got an offer like three million dollars but he didn't he didn't sell it and he only got like a million and a half we were yep. we mixed it up and we, were, we mixed up the 50 61 and 62 home run ball but it's still. It, I didn't want to cut the the that portion of the interview because it was really the the point was made of other than we mixed up the ball. So that was my apology. But please enjoy my interview with Lynn, Lee Dunbar from the Antiques Roadshow, uh, and we're going to talk appraisals and getting appraisals. So uh, getting stuff appraised. So please enjoy my interview with Lee. This week's interview is brought to you by Certified Sports Guarantee, csgcards.com for superior sports card certification and grading. Get your graded cards in the hobby's best holder. CSG's holders are crystal clear, secure, and make every card in your collection stand out. And the best part is the price. Get your sports cards graded for as low as $12 a card with CSG. Go to csgcards.com to start your submission today and get $10 off the first year of your membership with code TTMCAST. Go to csgcards.com. All right, guys, class is in session. When I say class is in session, you are going to get a, a tutorial today on appraisals from the foremost appraisal in our, our sector. Her name is Lee Dunbar. She has appeared on 65 televised segments of the PBS's Antique Roadshow and has had over 4,000 verbal appraisals since 1996. She has appraised items for the United States Golf Museum, the New York Yankees, the National Baseball and Pro Football Hall of Fames, as well as collections of Bob Uyor, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Floyd Mayweather, and the Pittsburgh Pirates. She spent nine years at Sotheby's as Director of Collectibles, she is the foremost appraiser in our sector, and we're so lucky to have her. Welcome, Lee. Wow, Jeff, that, that's quite a buildup there. Thank you. <laughs> well, you know what? You earned it. You know, when you, when you, when you, when you have it to back up, Lee, you, you, you have it to back up, and you really have earned it. And I'm so uh, excited to have you on the program and to learn 
um, just what appraisals are and why people should appraise things and, and talk about some of the stuff that you've appraised. So if we could really get right into it, I really, you know, the, my first question is, what does a typical appraisal entail and why should someone get an appraisal? Let's, you know, let's start from the beginning. Yeah, you know, look, appraisal is a loaded word, Jeff, okay? And I'll tell you why. Because if you watch the roadshow, people use appraisal, and, and most of the people on the roadshow, by the way, are either in auction houses, they're dealers. There's only a handful of us that are actually full-time appraisers. And what we do is do appraisals for insurance, donation, estate planning, litigation, that type of thing. But what, what people really want to know, Jeff, like if you bring your stuff to the roadshow, you want to know what it's worth, right? Yep. And, and that is part of an appraisal, but it, but it's different from what we do. You come in with your stuff at the roadshow and we're going to tell you, this is what we think it's going to sell for at auction, right? And, or this is what we think you need to insure it for. There are a couple of different values. If you come to me and say, after the fact, and we do use the same methodology, you're going to ask me, Generally, I don't do stuff generally for, for selling at auction. I'll only say I'll give you an auction estimate. But in the appraisal world, what it is is a theoretical value. And what it's based on is past sales, which is, again, largely what the roadshow does in a two-minute segment. But what we do as appraisers is, is more complex because our appraisals get submitted to the IRS. They get submitted to banks. They're for litigation. So the appraisals that you see on the roadshow are completely accurate. It's just they're, they're more, this is what we think it's going to sell for. It's more of an informal opinion. What we write is a much more formal opinion. And what we do is, is basically the same process. Uh, first, you got to identify the item, right? That's number yeah. one. What is this? It's a signed baseball by, say, Babe Ruth. The next thing we do is we research comparable sales, which we do in the roadshow. Same thing. We look at the sales and we compare, you know, is this Ruth's signature better? Is it worse? Is the ball better? Where is it on the, on the baseball? Is it, you know, personalized or not? We take all these factors into account, right? And then at the end, we use that. It's like a pyramid. We use this sort of hierarchy to figure out where this piece is going to be in there and what the type of valuation is. So like in insurance appraisals, it's called replacement value. These, mm -hmm. these are things they don't explain to you on the roadshow. Replacement value, Jeff, is like you get your big screen TV, you break it tomorrow, you got to replace it, right? So what's it going right. to cost? But in the world of memorabilia, you can't always go out and replace that piece. So what it's considered to be is generally the top of the market and sometimes beyond because you're going to be compensated for your loss because you may never be able to get that particular piece back again. So that's what we have to consider in insurance. We also do what's called fair market value for estate planning and estates. Uh, people have passed away, dead celebrities. I do a lot of those. And donation appraisals. You donate something to the Pro Football Hall of Fame or you donate to the Baseball or the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You can get a tax deduction for that. And so what we generally look like for there is we go back again, comparable sales. Say, for instance, I did a, um, I did a uh, uh, Roger Maris jersey that was from 61 that was donated wow. to the uh, Baseball Hall of Fame from his foremost fan. It's going to go on exhibition, I believe, in the next couple of years. So I went back and looked at other Roger Maris jerseys. I also looked back at 61 jerseys. You know, and I look and I 
I look at the overall market and I use those comparable sales and pick the value within those comparable sales. So you can see it's not, it's not rocket science, Jeff, right? You look yep. at an item, you find comparable sales and you figure out whether it's like, is this better or worse, better or worse? And at the end, you've got a number to slot in. Well, what happens like I have, a say I have a Babe Ruth game used bat. It's photo match, blah, blah, blah. Now we, we just saw the Babe Ruth bat go for what, $1.8 million for right. uh, it was in the polo grounds. So does that, does that appraisal get, um, redone again when uh, a record price is sold, is sold or, or the, the market changes? How is that How is that handled? Oh, sure. Absolutely. I, I have clients that I, I generally recommend when I do insurance appraisals that they look at things for every five years or so, okay. maybe eight. I mean, look, the market was very stable in general for memorabilia. I mean, there were, you know, there was, there were, there's always appreciation, you know, at the top end. But overall, really from 2013 to 20, it was not any huge leaps or bounds in, right. in appreciation, except maybe a little bit at the high end on certain items. But those are the exceptions, not the rule. But in 2020, Jeff, you, you know, as we've seen, prices just <laughs> It's a new skyrocket. world, right? It's it a new world. It was the perfect storm. It, it's absolutely a new world. And if you bring up an excellent point, I've had a number of clients that over the last, there's two things that have happened over the last three years, let's say two and a half, three years, I've had to do a slew of revised insurance appraisals. And, and, you know, I've had the insurance companies actually call me because to see something go say from $200,000 to a million, I mean, that's, that's an enormous leap. Um, but I've had to do that. And another interesting thing, Jeff, I've done more, sports card appraisals in the last two and a half years than the entire 12 or 13 years prior to that. Think about that. That's how much the sports card market escalated. Sure. Now, do you recommend your clients um, get stuff graded and authenticated prior to you doing the appraisal or, or what is, what is your recommendation for a potential client? If they have, if they have, you know, they have a Babe Ruth ball, but you know, that their grandfather ha handed down to them, but it's never been authenticated. It's never been uh, valued by anyone. Uh, what's your recommendation? Well, I'm, I'm very fortunate in the vast majority of the appraisals that I do, everything already has great provenance and or third-party authentication. Uh, there's very little that I will do without it. Uh, there's an occasional estate that will come up, or again, there's an exception to the rule. Uh, but my, my preference, particularly on autographs, because as we know, you know there, there are inadvertent uh, fake, fakes and forgeries and there are malicious fakes and forgeries. So you have to be so careful with autographs. And I've had a couple of collections throughout the years that were largely from the 90s, which was really the Wild West and the era of yeah. Operation Foul Ball and Operation Bullpen. And I can tell you right now that there were, it, there was somewhere in the vicinity, probably, uh, I think in both collections between 30 and 50% that were bad. And those two collections, and those are from several years ago, after I, I did, and I deducted, and I explained why I was deducting for them. And I will only do it under those auspices today, but, and you bring up a really great point. We keep talking about Babe Ruth because he's really the number one collected athlete. He's also probably the number one forged athlete. So- More so than Mickey Mantle in terms of uh, forgeries? 
Well, they're probably neck and neck because, you know, it, from my research, Mickey had his son sign, he had his mistress sign Greer, <laughs> but, you know, among, and among many others, and he's probably the most popular, and there, there are more of him out there, but I would say Ruth, because his his sign baseball start at like five grand and go up. Sure. Whereas the mantle ball is going to start at probably six, 700 and go up from there. And you look at, at Roadshow, I can guarantee you every season I'm going to get at least six to 10 Babe Ruth balls. And some of them are kids. Kids sign them. And then, you know, the, the lore goes that grandpa caught this at a game and they stuck it in a safe deposit box for 60, 70 years. You know, and I got to put a big pin in the balloon. But I will, and I will tell you this, if I see a red flag, if there's something there that I don't, I won't do it. And I have people that have had sent me stuff and I'll say, you need to get this authenticated first. You need to go to third party authenticator. And if they've got something valuable in a card that's potential, let's just say you've got, you know, a 51 Bowman mantle or any of the great hall of famers from that era, right? Their rookie cards, whether it's Clemente or Aaron or mantle or Killebrew or Koufax, any of those that that could take a you know a leap, I, I will tell them if it's if it's not in great condition, I'm pretty comfortable, you know. And I I write in my report that it's an estimated grade and it could change upon third party review. But anything that has you know huge potential value, I will have them go out and get it graded before I'll value it. But most people do, you know. This is the modern era, Jeff. You know, and most in the last twenty years, the collections I've seen, people are cognizant that they're investing as well as collecting. And they also are very cognizant of the issues that have, had, that have taken place in the past in the industry. So most, the vast majority of collections that I've seen are very carefully built and curated. Do you have, if, do you have a figure that, that um, in mind that someone should consider getting their item or their collections appraised. You know, if you have a ten thousand dollar item or, or you know, a twenty thousand dollar collection, where, 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 where does it make sense for someone to just get it to to, to bring you or, or another appraiser in to to do it? And what do they have to do to get their collection ready for you to come in and appraise? Sure. Well, look, in, in this day and age, you know, a lot of the collections that I have seen, the later collections are going to be signed balls from contemporary players, right? Mm -hmm. And they don't tend to have enormous value. You know, you're looking at the low to mid hundreds for the right. most part, unless you have an extraordinary combination or if you've got a mantle with stats on it or triple crown, that, that type of thing. And even then, I mean, you're, you know, low thousands. Um, same thing, you know, Typical fan collection is going to be those signed balls, those signed bats, right? Commemorative bats, signed lithos, that type of thing. Look, they can add up, and but I think that they can get an umbrella for that. Probably at fifty thousand or a hundred, they don't really need us to come in. They can find most of that stuff online for what you know it's currently selling for at a retail level. I think when you really want, you know, if, if you want, I think you can do that yourself at that level. The, the collections that I generally get, I either get two things. I either get, I get three things. I either get very advanced collections. I get very large archives. Like I did Arnold Palmer's estate in 2017. That sure. was 20,000 items. I did Prince's estate in 2019. That was close to 30,000 items. That, that must've been really, uh, 
intimidating to go to do Prince's stuff. Uh, no, it was fun. You know, yeah, it was a blast. Everything, everything that he touched was so so iconic, and you know, it would just be—I don't know—I'd be apprehensive about touching any of this stuff. You know, Jeff. Here's the deal: having done this so long, I mean, remember, I started Sotheby's in 1999. I actually ran my own business with my dad before that. You know, I, I, I ran a small business. I mean, going from going from my parents. You know, family business of antique toys and advertising and folk art. And my dad used to buy me sports stuff because I'm I'm from Massachusetts, so I'm a huge, you know, Celtics, Sox, Bruins, Pats fan. But it was like going from Double A ball to the big leagues. You know? Oh yeah. <laughs> the, the, the top piece I think I sold when I was working with my dad was twenty five grand, and it's Sotheby's while I was there, and even after as a consultant, you know, it was in the millions. So, uh, you know, my first big sports sale at Sotheby's, I sold Babe Ruth's bat that he hit the very first home run at Yankee yeah. Stadium for $1.25 million. You know, and that bat today is a multiple of what it was 15 oh, sure. years ago. So, uh, where was I going with this? There was a question here, Jeff. Sorry. Uh, okay. You, you had a question for me. What was it? I was just talking about, um, you know, Getting access to these these great collections. Uh, so, okay, yes. So you know when you go to Sotheby's, you know, Sotheby's and Christie's are one and one a, right? Depending on the year. When I they're six billion dollar a year companies. When I was there, they're eight billion dollars a year now. I you know doing sports memorabilia, 15, 20 million a year was you know that's one good painting for Sotheby's and Christie's. Sure. So our whole value to Sotheby's was the fact we put uh, we put an approachable face on the company. Because they were just going, when I, six months after I got there, they had a huge collusion scandal. And the art market went down. And they needed us desperately to be able to bring people in and to have positive press. When I got there, literally a month later, they had the Halper sale. So that was a huge, you know, and that was before in the spring of 2000 is when the collusion scandal hit. And my staff went from 15 to 6 to 3, okay? So we were charged the first major sale I did. And also this is the advent of the internet, right? eBay was just getting you know, a large traction here. Uh, Amazon was just starting. We did a partnership with Amazon. So my first major sale for Sotheby's was actually doing the Wilt Chamberlain estate and the Boston Garden Parquet floor. And it was pretty hilarious, Jeff, because I found out later, no one wanted to sell the Boston Garden Parquet floor even though it's like the most storied floor in basketball history. And we were selling the iconic center court with the leprechaun. And we were also, this guy had done a computer uh, sketch, a computer scheme where they pulled, they pulled panels from all the most famous moments in Boston Celtics history. Like when no one wanted to sell that? I I'll, I'll tell you the story. Havlicek, where Havlicek stole the ball, where Bird stole the ball against the Pistons, you know, with 88, 89. Uh, yeah. But where Havlicek stole it in 65, uh, where they played the double overtime game in 50, uh, 58, there was 58, 57. Sorry, it's a while back now. But, you know, we had these panels. We set a record. We sold the center court, and, and you can look it up. It was sold to a venture capitalist named Bob Siegel. Uh, we sold it for a record at the time, 335 grand in 2000. And he turned around and he lent it out. I don't know if he still does 20 odd years later, but he lent it out for nonprofits. 
for fundraisers. Well, that's nice. So, and we had our back there. We had our back there. They came out. We had a huge exhibition. And we sold Wilt sneakers at the same time. Now, Jeff, this is wild. So we have the Wilt Chamberlain estate, right? The number one item in the sale is Wilt sneakers. I literally myself pulled them from his closet. Wow. They're signed and dated. Okay. Was it March 2nd, 1962, the 100 point game? Yep. They're Converse high tops, right? So we're going to put them up for sale. And another auction house was selling the ball from the game, which I had turned down. And I had turned it down because there was no provenance beyond the guy who got it said he grabbed it from the game and ran out with it at 15 years old. But it looked like an old basketball. Yeah. Game. You know, right, and you didn't want to get stuck. You didn't want to get stuck with it and have your reputation hurt from it. Exactly. So, I'm. I, I say no. The other auction house sells it. They sell it for six hundred grand. Wow. So I look like an idiot at that point. <laughs> but two days later, the Golden State Warriors said, "No, no, 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 no. We pulled that ball. That's not the ball. They had to rescind the sale." But Jeff, this is one of the things that can happen. You know, some people might say, well, you know, they got what was coming to them and blah, blah. That's not the way I look at things because if there's a black eye one place, it extends to the whole industry. Right. You do not want things to happen like that because it has a ripple effect. And it did. The Wilt sneakers in my sale sold for $52,000. A true bargain at that, at that number. 52 with perfect provenance perfect provenance i couldn't get any better provenance if will was standing in them yep. you know and i i got i got messages afterwards i had people calling me saying well we weren't sure about these after the basketball i was like you gotta be kidding me i mean, right. it was you know one has nothing to do with the other but you just got you got caught in that trap i did and today those sneakers on this market jeff I got to think they're at least a couple million. Yeah, because the what the ticket stub just went for, right? The ticket stub went, went for a couple hundred thousand dollars, I believe. A absolutely. And you got Jordan sneakers that... Um, well, 1.8 million, right? What, what they're currently, uh, as of this date, they'll have sold by the time this airs, but they're currently at 1.8 plus the buyer's premium, which puts them over 2 million. And yes, you know, last dance, game two, must win Jordan scores 37 and 40 minutes. I mean, they're hugely important and they're my great, you know, photo match. But for me, the most important sneakers, I think would, would be the hundred point game because I don't think anyone is. Right. No one's going to come close to that. Well, I have to ask, Ashley, were you, did you fangirl when you met Bobby Orr and, and got into his collection? Well, you know, it's so funny. Yeah. So I, I've been, you know, you asked me before about this stuff and, and there are a couple of things. One, nothing phases me. Almost nothing phases me anymore because I've dealt with stuff that's millions of dollars. That right? would turn, that would turn me in, that would turn me into an eight-year-old kid. If I met Bob Yor and, well, and, and, and got to go through his closet, that would turn me into an eight-year-old well, kid. Well, Jeff, and here's where I'm going with this. Okay. So, you know, I've met lots of celebrities they, you know, they're, they're, they're all very nice, but really for most of them, you're the help, right? You're there. Sure. They're looking at you, you know, you're dealing really mostly with their staff, their accountants, their lawyers, you're, you're, you're the help, but they're nice. Um, I grew up in Boston during the big bad Bruin era. 
I was there with my mom pregnant with my sister watching Bobby Orr and the Bruins win in 1970. I will never forget the overtime goal in the Stanley Cup finals. You know, I'll never forget 1972. But when I had a friend call me, longtime curator who knew Bobby, and he called me, I was driving on the Cape because I was driving on Cape Cod and I had to pull over because when he told me about Bobby Orr's collection, see, I'm even getting a little verklempt out. <laughs> I, I almost started crying. It was like of all the people that I could get to meet and you know, you wonder, are they gonna live up to what your images of them, you know, your hopes, you're gonna be disappointed 99% of the time. Let me tell you, Jeff, Bobby Orr did not disappoint. It was phenomenal. It's one of the great experiences of my life, really. Because look, he meets me at the door. I mean, there's no, there's no assistant, there's no yeah. buffer. He meets me at the door, he gets me lunch. You know, we sit down, he talks to me. Now, listen, I would never want to cross Bobby Orr, okay? He, he's got a great sense of humor. He's a, you know, from the interactions I've had with him, he's a wonderful person. But I can see, you know, I, I can see he would hip check you into the corner like nothing at all. Sure. <laughs> Put you right in the boards. Yeah. But yeah. it was, it was phenomenal. It, it, it was phenomenal. And his, you know, he has all his great stuff. So it's, you know, it's, yeah, I can't go into details, but it's it was it was it was a phenomenal experience, and one and that's what makes that's what makes what I do so rewarding, Jeff. Because I think it like you, I never know who I get to meet, what I get to talk about or learn, you know, and what I get to see. I you know I talk to a lot of former athletes about their 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 time and playing and uh, stuff that they collected, and I think the biggest regret from every one of them is that they didn't take advantage of getting the autographs of their teammates and the guys that they played against and the thing, you know, save their, their, their stuff from their playing days, you know, guys that won world series and MVPs and all sorts of stuff. And they just, they didn't, it didn't matter to them back then. And it, it you know, I, I think Bob, you kind of saw that because when he was a kid, he came up, he was, he was going to be great when he was a kid. And maybe he saw that and just said, Oh, I'm going to save all my stuff. Cause I, someone's going to want it eventually. Every athlete is different. You know, I've, I've been involved that there, there are a number of athletes that have, that have their collections uh, and there are other athletes, some have them on display, some have them all, you know, put away in storage. And some of them have just, you know, let stuff go because, I mean, look, your older athletes, let's just say pre, pre what, 1990s when salaries really started yep. escalating. I mean, you've got athletes at that point that, you know, they could make more than they made in a year by selling a World Series ring, right? So your older athletes, I mean, look, I'll give you, you know, great known examples. I mean, Jim, I mean, Jim Palmer doesn't need the money, but Palmer, uh, uh, I think Lou Brock, Ozzie Smith, a uh, number of athletes, Brooks Robinson have sold their collections over the years because they wanted to because they want, didn't want to have to split up between their grandkids or they wanted to fund their college funds. And it was, you know, it was time for them to go. These, old, these older time athletes, today's athletes, there's no real reason to do that because they're making, you know, $20, $30 million a year, right? And they're, yep. and they're nowhere close to the point where they have to split it up between kids or grandkids. They're in a much different situation. Right. And I think but, Bill Russell, he recently uh, sold a bunch of his stuff before he passed. And, and uh, I think he, he got to the point where, OK, now it's time to ready to let it go. But he had so much stuff 
that had some historical value and i think he saw that as well right i think guys like Absolutely. Paul Russell and you know if you I, if you see the interview with him he said you know, it was of course he knew also i think at the time that he was not in great health right right and i think he realized that again instead of having his family go through this it was better for him to to do it and i think he want i think it was probably a part of last to ride but i think he probably wanted um that last sort of I don't know if you want the adulation or, or the uh, maybe, but I think I, I think he I think he felt it was just the right time. And I got to say, it was the right time because if he had been 10 years ago, it would have been a fraction. Right. You yeah. know, his jerseys 20 years ago, his jerseys were selling from, you know, 60,000 to maybe 150, you know, at the top. If you have something that had perfect provenance and today, you know, his jersey anywhere from 500,000 to over a million. Does I mean, you've been in, doing this for a while. Does it amaze you how um, much value has increased on a lot of this stuff and, and how um, it's really taken, you know, the country's imagination in terms of the investor's imagination, as opposed to investing in stocks or paintings or something else. A lot of money has come into sports memorabilia in the last five years. Yeah, Jeff, I wish I had taken my own advice. <laughs> from 20, you know, I've been telling people for years that the market is undervalued and I have a small collection, but, you know, if I'd been really, and, and I, you know, I was building my own business, you know, in terms of appraising, and I, I felt at the time, you know, it was, in hindsight, look, if I had, if I had, if I had followed my own advice, we'd be talking from the Cayman Islands, right? Now, right? <laughs> but it, but I, look, I knew the market would keep escalating, but I had no, no one did. No one had a Yeah, no one saw this coming. To see what would happen with the pandemic. But I think, again, you know, we talked like a perfect storm. I think the pandemic was part of it because stuff finally got on the radar screen of people that, like me, didn't have time yep. to follow it. Uh, but I also think what happened at the same time is that people realized how important sports are because you couldn't watch them for a few months. And also you see that the, the interest in sports and the escalation in sports valuation of teams and players has also escalated. So the entire sports market, every piece of it has become bigger than ever. So it only follows that it would become more important for collectors and or investors to get involved. Now there has been a correction partial correction in 2022, 2023, particularly in sports cards, because with sports cards being multiples, you know, there's so many that came out of the woodwork. I mean, PSA had to shut down for three months to get right. through an eight to 12 million card backlog. Um, and the modern card market has fallen off and some of the vintage card market has fallen off, but the memorabilia market has actually, I think, in many ways, picked up steam because people again realize there's only so many of these items. Right, and that's the big thing, right? That if you have one of one, or, or, or you know, there's not many of these items, and I think that that adds to the value. Yeah, you know, you've been on the the, the road show for for since it started on PB on PBS, uh, and. What is your, some of the favorite items that have come in to you and what has surprised you most? Is there one item that really surprised you? Like, oh, I can't believe someone actually had that. Well, you know what surprises me the most, Jeff? So I've been doing it, I hate to say things like this, since 1996. <laughs> no, when I usually go, I've been doing that since. <laughs> yeah, I, I tried to tell people I started when I was 12. No one's buying it, okay? No one's buying it. 
what I think what amazes me the most is when you've got eBay and Pawn Stars and Pickers and Roadshow, and you know. Uh, that, you know, all these venues, right, for selling, that you would think everything has already come out of the woodwork. And that's not true. Every year at the roadshow, I will get something. And it's interesting because sports largely and then entertainment, we've kind of become the bells of the ball at the roadshow because a lot of your other markets have stagnated. I yeah. mean, not every market goes up. Brown furniture, pottery, uh, right, Indian know, rugs. <laughs> exactly. I mean, there are just certain areas that they've just stalled, right? Travel posters, which I collected for years. You know, even antique toys. I mean, there's certain areas that, that have kept appreciating. The best of the best is always good. But the overall sports market has gone, has gone crazy. So that so things come out of the woodwork. I mean, probably the best piece I got last year, which is interestingly enough, and just FYI, I don't buy and sell. So uh, but I know this ball, it's interesting, this ball is going to be up for auction. And I'll tell you, I was at um, California. It, we were at um, oh, Woodside, California last summer. And this segment aired about a month ago. And I had a woman come in and her grandfather played baseball out on the West Coast in the early 20s. So, of course, Walter Johnson was born in Kansas, but his family moved out to the West Coast, played for semi-pro teams, and ended up, of course, becoming one of the greatest pitchers of all time for the Senators, right? 417 wins, 110 shutouts. So she brought in a circa 1927 Walter Johnson single sign baseball. Wow. Now, look, a Walter Johnson signed baseball is rare anyway, because I believe he died, I think it was... It's either 1946 at 50 or 1950 at 46. I can't remember, but one of the two. Guys, but, she's yeah. doing this all off the top of her head. She's not looking at a computer screen. Yeah, I am. I am. <laughs> I don't know anything important, Jeff. I just know this stuff. I would get killed on Jeopardy. You know, when they come up with Shakespeare and science and, you know, oh God, words that, you know, end in exes, forget it. But this stuff I do well with. Um, so anyway, so, so Walter Johnson... So that she had this, it wasn't, not just it was a Walter Johnson signed ball that, that's hard to find. It's the best Walter Johnson signed ball, baseball I'd ever seen. They found it in a file cabinet. Wow. So at the time, you know, I put an auction estimate on it, 60 to 80,000. And I told her, I think insurance would be somewhere like 125 or 150,000. And uh, I guess, it, you know, she, uh, she ended up um, consigning it to an auction, and now it's currently at fifty-five thousand with like twelve days to go. That's but fabulous. It, and it's the number one Walter Johnson ball. No, it was graded an eight by PSA. That's so, nice. I mean, who would ever expect it? You know, and I asked her. I said, "Do you know anything about Walter Johnson? Do you know the relationship between him and your grandfather?" She says, "No." She said, I have no idea. And here's, the, and here's the thing. We never talked about this on air, Jeff. Her grandfather was murdered that year by a farmhand. Oh, wow. So we know it's 1927 because it's a Barnard stamp on the ball. So it has to be 27. That's crazy. And no, I, I love, I, I'm sure you love it too, is when they have all these um, finds of unopened material, the, the uh, the unopened boxes and the it's just incredible have you ever had any unopened stuff on on uh, roadshow that you found no jeff and that's it's like where why hasn't that stuff come in and i'm going to tell you why i don't think so 
I'll tell you what we get at the road show. We get a ton of signed baseballs. Yep. You know, we get we get occasional game used memorabilia. Interesting enough, I've done I've done several pieces of game used. I've done Giants jerseys. I've done um, Packers, uh, right? Green Bay Packers. Oh, I did. Well, I actually did my one of my favorite pieces. I did. I actually did a Packers Giant. Um, oh, wooden, you know, head. It's you know, helmet. It was a helmet sign that was actually at Lambeau, and it was wow. from the ice bowl game. And the woman's father was at the ice bowl game with his wife. And at the end of the game, everyone's tearing down goalposts and ripping stuff off. She tells the story that he ran back to his car, got his Sears Craftsman toolkit, <laughs> came out and unbolted the helmet from the wall. And that's why it's in such great condition. She had Jerry Kramer sign it. That's awesome. Not to be confused with Cosmo Kramer, but... <laughs> <laughs> So it's so cool. And, and she brought it in and it's this huge, I mean, just giant piece. But I'll, I'll tell you the most fun game use stuff I ever did. Okay. On the road show was in Washington years ago. Um, do you remember Lou the Toe Groza? Oh, sure. Okay. So Lou the Toe has, I think, four kids. And one of them came into Washington. His name's Judd. Judd Groza. So Judd brings in game use jersey, sideline jacket. And one of the four championship rings. I think wow. it was, I think it's, I think it was 54. I can't remember. They were split up with the kids. This is like 10 years ago. So, so he comes in and we're talking about, you know, the items and, and, you know, lose the first kicker to be in the pro football hall of fame. Right. Yep. And there are two questions I'll never forget. Two things that Judd said. So we're looking at all this material and I said, so what was your father like? You know, and, and he kind of, he kind of, you know, tears up a little bit. He says, you know, my dad was as great a football player as my dad was. He was a better person and a better father, you know, and you That's love to nice. hear that stuff, right? Yep. He was always with the family. He cared about the family. The kids loved him. He was a great guy. The second story he tells me is, is Groza's last season. So Groza, I think, uh, Groza played defensive line, I think, as well, he was, as, as well as kicker, but in his later years, he gave it up, right? And right. just was a kicker. Right, I remember so, him as a kicker. So I, I asked him, I said, you know, how'd you know it was your, your you know, when did your dad decide it was time to retire? He said, well, he said the first game of the last season he was playing, he, he, he kicked off, ran down the field, he went to tackle this rookie, right? Rookie just runs him over, flattens him. And he's lying on his back. He's seen stars like in cartoons, right? And the rookie comes up to him and says, Mr. Groza, are you all right? <laughs> Time to hang it up, son. Time to hang it up. Oh, uh, yeah. So, you know, again, who would ever expect that that stuff would walk in the door? Yeah. And I get stuff like that. I'll, I'll, I'll give you another one, which really floored me. So... Uh, this is 2011, I think, 2012. I get a phone call one day and I, I from this guy and Jeff, the, the start of the call is, I know you get a lot of phone calls. I just want to tell you up front, I'm not a crackpot. <laughs> You're like, uh-oh, what's, what's coming my way? Jeff, it can go one of two ways, right? Right. It can go, right. go really, really bad. <laughs> So it turns out, and who would have ever expected this, right? You never know. His mother dated Lou Gehrig. Wow. And I'm like, okay, but she, they never got married. He went on to marry Eleanor, but she remained really close 
with Christina Gehrig, you know, Lou's mother. So when Lou's mother passed away, I think it was in the 50s, she left Jeff's mother, gentleman who called me, half of her estate. Wow. Which just so happened to include, I think 31, it's either 31 or 34 Tour Japan. I think it was 34, Tour Japan jersey. And a Tour Japan team signed baseball. Wow. And a Gary cap. And a signed infield photo of the Yankees. It was it was phenomenal, right? Right, and Gehrig was historically close to his mother, so you you know all that stuff is just spot on. Oh yeah, there was there was no doubt. Oh, and his 1928 championship pendant. Okay, so that so I worked with them. I did an appraisal for them, and at the time, you know, and I will do this with certain clients. Um, they they wanted to know you know an auction house to go to and, and my advantage in that regard when I take on projects like that is I know everyone because you know I was in the business so long and running Sotheby's and it's interesting because auction houses the auction houses there look they're the leading auction houses of course of which they're you know probably top three or four and then a slight second level of sort of one A one B of another three or four and then you go down from there. But everyone has their strengths and weakness areas where they do better or worse. Um, I mean, like Sotheby's today, you know, which is offering the Jordan sneakers. You know, right now they're they're doing the best at the very high end of basketball and, and other sports. Um, there are other auction houses that do better with different things. So at the time, you know, we picked an auction house. Uh, they they you know after going through a number of different things and they sold them. And at the time the the jersey, I think, sold for a half million. That's so, incredible. That's which it, I think it was a record at the time. It's been surpassed many times over since then. But in 2012, that was a big deal. So the moral of the story, Jeff, he was not a crackpot. Yeah, <laughs> that the moral of the story is just take every call because you never know who's going to be on their uh, other end, right? <laughs> absolutely, yeah, absolutely. And they and they wanted the money because they had no kids and they wanted to go cruising. So I still think they're cruising. <laughs> yeah, they're cruising for, for life. We are talking to Lee Dunbar. Lee Dunbar is, of course, the lead appraiser on PBS's Antique Roadshow, which she's been there for 1996. She's been on 65 televised segments and provided over 4,000 verbal appraisals. She's also, her company has also appraised items for the United States Golf Museum, the New York Yankees, the National Baseball and Football Hall of Fames. The collections of Bobby Orr, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, Floyd Mayweather in the Pittsburgh Pirates, as well as uh, Keith Richards, Ron Howard, Ted Turner, and much of other celebrities. Leah is uh, helps out um, appraising items. And if you have any questions and want to uh, check out her website, it is Leela. I'm going to spell it L E I L A Dunbar.com. Check her website out, Leela, L E I L A Dunbar.com. If you have any questions for Lee, you can just send it to her directly from her website. She, her, her, her and her team are great following up their stuff. Lee, I really appreciate your time. Just one other question, because just we talked about Pride before, and I don't want to miss it. Uh, you said you had a great story about uh, going to the National, and I don't, I, I want to, I hope if you could share that with us. That, you know, it, that was my story, believe it or not, was the, uh, that was the, we were at the National when uh, they had the auction to sell the Lou Gehrig items back in 2012. It was, uh, it was Heritage's auction and they had it right at the National. 
So that was pretty cool. So we were there to watch it all. That's very neat. I don't know. I know you didn't go to last year's national, but I, I want to give compliments to Heritage because they did the best job of marketing that Mickey Mantle, the the the, the one that they got twelve point six million dollars off it. And I think on a whole, the the auction industry has really stepped up in the last couple of years and promoting stuff. And what do you think that these um, record numbers help uh, the the hobby as a whole? in terms of, uh, of gaining interest and in people digging into their, their closets and looking to see if they find something? Look, I, I th here's what I think about the market. Um, I, I feel validated. I feel the market, you know, should have, I feel the market should be considered. And this is, you know, it's an interesting thing with Sotheby's and I use Sotheby's cause I worked there for years. I still consult there, um, you know, from time to time. Uh, but I don't work for them. I don't work for any auction house. You know, I, what, what I do is I run an appraisal business and I just want to answer another question that you asked before and I'll get to this. Uh, I recommend people to get collections insured if when they feel that they're, they're no longer comfortable. So to me, for some people, it's probably a hundred thousand and up. I would say, you know, when they get to a point where they feel like they're, they're vulnerable or can't easily do um, a, a, an addendum to what their homeowner's policy is. You know, I'll, I've done personal collections probably starting at about a couple hundred thousand all the way up to I've done two collections well over a hundred million. Wow. So, and, and many collections in between. So I think that's what I recommend. And of course, you know, best practices I recommend for folks is get have your stuff authenticated, graded, insured, Make, and have a security system. If you have small items, a safe, safe deposit box, you know, protect yourself. And it goes into what you're asking now because this market has always been, you know, the market over the last 20 years has ranged from, you know, $10 up to, you know, maybe a couple of million. Now we're looking at anywhere from $10 to 50 million. Right. With 12 years ago, I could count on one hand, probably, or maybe two hands, the number of items that had passed had sold for a million dollars. Now, Jeff, and I, I may be low. I'm just, you know, from my knowledge of private sales and public sales, I'm estimating there are two to 300 items like that. And I could be low. So the market has changed dramatically and it's changed character. You know, your, your old school collectors collect purely for the joy of it. And you have some new collectors who do as well. They turn into turn into like us, like 12 year olds when they see stuff. <laughs> but, but the thing that does bother me, and I, I think it's I think it's great. I think it follows along. I think it's healthy in, in terms of that, especially when you're comparing it to art and antiques and watches and wine, all of who have had these leaps over the years. You know, the thing I don't like though is that it's the the point of entry just gets harder and harder. Yeah, right. Sure. You know, I'll, I'll never own. I'll, you know, I'll never own a Babe Ruth jersey. I'll never own a Babe Ruth game used bat. Um, yeah, but, but at the same time, I will say this: at the same time, there is more opportunity than ever to get in on at least contemporary stuff. And the contemporary stuff is probably some of it is a better entry point because there's so much more of it. I mean, with the NHL and the NBA the NFL and uh, MLB starting their own auctions. I mean, literally they're taking the stuff off of these guys' backs and putting it up for sale. Yep. 
So, you know, game used sneakers from NBA players, I mean, you can buy them for a couple grand, you know, going up, but you're not going to buy, you're not going to buy Michael Jordan sneakers from the last dance. Right. Ever. But, <laughs> but, you, but if you're like a Jason Tatum fan, you know, you can buy a pair of sneakers for five or 10 grand. You know, if you're a Curry fan, you can buy them for 15 to 30 from a regular season game. They're not going to go up as much, at least immediately. But, you know, look in the collecting world, time, it's all about time. Time is your friend in that regard, because as time goes on, you know, it tends the the demand will stay even or higher and the supply will go down for good stuff. Right. The only problem with the the, the current player is you have that the John Morant or, or uh you know, Tatis, so these guys that, that they go off the rail one way or other, and uh, you're exposing yourself um, to to the whims of, of a you know a 19 or 20 year old kid, right? Well, you are, but you know, it's that's you know you deal with that even in art too. What if an artist decides that they no longer say this is going to be their, that they they disown the painting? Now right. you can't sell it as being from them. And look, we've, you know, this market's had to deal with that for years. And, you know, we value items as an appraiser. Here's what you look at. It's all these value factors. Historic importance and enduring legacy of the player, the team, and the event. And, you know, with the, with the issues in regard to steroids, you know, the, there's a huge dip in the market for A-Rod and Bonds and Clemens. Interestingly enough, those markets have come back. Uh, over the years, I mean, they're, time they're heal not, heals all wounds, right? I guess. Well, they're they're still not where they should be. I mean, you know, in terms of what their careers were, uh, they still have that stigma to them. But if they get in the Hall of Fame, they're going to jump up. And the same thing with Pete Rose. You know, for years, again, his memorabilia was sort of down, and that it's also come back because at the end of the day, I and mean, even though he has this, you know, his legacy has been tarnished by gambling. He still is the number one leader in hits. So, you know, people balance that. And, and, and I don't, it, things don't always make sense. Jeff, I mean, want, I'll give you a great example. I'm still scratching my head. You've got, um, you've got uh, um, judges, was it 61st home run ball that was sold a few Six, weeks yeah. ago? 61st. It wasn't 62nd. I think it was 64. No, no, 62nd. 61st. It was the guy from Texas caught it, and I don't think he's sold it yet. No, but I think the 61st went up, right? 1.8 yes. million, something like that. 1.5. Yep. I can't. I'm sorry. It went for one. It, it, he he got offered, I think, three million dollars. Yes. He said no, and then he took one. They, it went for 1.5. Yeah. So you've got that, right? I mean, look, it, it's it was a great look. The season from Judge is one of the ages, right? It was a phenomenal season, but it's one season. And he that's the tying baseball. It's not the record-breaking baseball, and it's American League. And yes, I know we have the steroids issue, and I think Judge is a phenomenal player. I'm not just talking as a Red Sox fan here, okay? <laughs> but, but, Jeff, here's where I'm going. Now you look at Albert Pujols, right? Phenomenal player, phenomenal career. 700th home run ball does 400 grand. Yep. Well, to me, that was the bargain of the century. Right. Well, I, again, it's, you know, you you capture the imagination of the public. And, and I think being a Yankee helps a, a, in a long, long run. And um, it's all emotion, right? This is all emotion. The, there's no reason why a baseball that, that, that costs $7 should be worth uh, anything, anything more than $7. But 
you you know you you put a motion to it and you put uh, a sticker on it and all of a sudden it becomes a, a million dollar ball right jeff all this stuff is worth two dollars and 98 cents right i okay. mean look you know a, a, a baseball card is a baseball card it's a piece of cardboard right why is mickey Mantle's card worth 12 million dollars when 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 uh you know daz cameron's cards is worth a nickel right well, and, and that's, you know, for me, look, I love cards, okay? I grew up collecting cards. Um, you know, I wish I kept on collecting cards, just like we all have. But to me, I've always had a, to me, sports memorabilia is always much more important than cards because the cards are manufactured. They're an adjunct, they're multiples, right? And, and yep. the value is, you know, rookie, Hall of Famers, great grades. Whereas memorabilia, man, they were, you know, it's, it's worn, it's used, it's direct part of the game. And it's far rarer to me. And to me, that always should be king. Uh, and, and it's, you know, it's proven at different times to be that way, but cards have always been right there with it because Jeff, it's just what you said, it, it's emotion. It's, you know, when, when you go through these value factors, again, historical importance, enduring legacy, rarity, which goes hand in hand, condition, which is less important if you've only got one of something, provenance, because you got to know where it came from, right? But yep. here's the wild card, which which is right what you're talking about, desirability. Yeah. It can be old, rare, and important, but if no one cares about it, it's not worth anything. And really, Lee, all you need is two people, right? In the auction world, all you need is two people to want something. And depending on what they have in their pockets, it could be worth $10 million or it could be worth a dollar. And all these markets operate the same economic principle in terms of in terms of, and, and look, stocks can be emotional too. If you love a particular stock and you got to have it, supply and demand. It's all about supply and demand. And if you've only got, what, three 52 tops mantles that are tens, you know, there's always going to be more supply and demand. It's no, again, no different than art and antiques and watches and, and wine. But that's what, you know, what makes it fascinating. But I, I know we want to wrap up, but I will tell you, because uh, I do think this is important, what draws me to all of this, why I love doing what I do every day. My degree is in journalism. Me too. I went to, there you go. I went to the University of North Carolina the years that Jordan was there. So I was there for you know, the UNC championship in 1982. So I have a lot of affinity for anything Jordan related. And, you know, Tar Heel born, Tar Heel bred when I die, but Tar Heel dead. <laughs> you could hear that Southern accent. But you know, I love journalism and appraising are actually very similar because you have to accumulate information, right? You have to analyze that information. You have to tell a story. Yeah. And at the end of the day, the only thing that's different is that I've got numbers, you know, to, and the story supports them. But it's all about the story. It's all about where these, something could be worth $3 to me, but if it has a great story, that's because otherwise, if you hold something in your hand, it's just it's just a pair of sneakers. Right. It's just a bat. It's just a card, unless there's something behind it. Yeah, and that, I think that draws me to it. I'm I'm a history guy. I love history, and I the 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 story behind the items, and that's why I love talking to former athletes. That's why I like talk to someone like you. You just have great there's great stories behind these items that we love, right? And we love the sport, and we love the game, and it just adds even more to the game as a collector to have a piece you know if you have mickey mantle's glove from 1963 oh my goodness right that just brings you that much closer to that moment in time 
It's fabulous. Yeah, I, I had a dinner party the other night here, and uh, you know, John was here, and he was actually from Chicago, but originally, I believe. But his his hero is Mickey Mantle, and that you know, there's a whole generation that their hero was was the Mick. Um, and it's interesting because again, we're talking about stories and roadshow. One of my favorite pieces, which they're going to re-air, I think, next year. I actually saw in 2008. And again, if you looked at it, the ball with three signatures on it, you'd say, who cares? But here's the story. Gelman comes in to Dallas, 2008, for his 13th birthday in 1961. His uncle gives him a Babe Ruth signed baseball. Wow. So that's pretty cool. You know, Ruth's been dead since 48, but I'm sure this kid has heard about Ruth. You know, Ruth has been big no matter what. It's like the Honus Wagner card. It's, it doesn't matter. Right. It transcends what? everything. It transcends exactly. sports. It transcends basically anything. A absolutely. So he's in Little League and his coach takes the Little League team to a Kansas City athletics game against the Yankees in Kansas City. And 61. And so in those, of course, Eminem boys, right? Yep. Uh, the race to, to break Bruce's home run record. So the coach says, hey, he, the kid brings the ball. The coach says, hey, you want me to get Mantle and Maris to sign it? They lower it into the Yankees dugout and Mantle and Maris sign the ball. Wow. Jeff, it's the only ball I've ever seen with Ruth, Mantle, and Maris on it. Now, it's, it was in good condition. It wasn't spectacular, but it was very good. At the time, I put 30 to 50 grand on it. Today, I think it easily you're talking 75 to 125. Yeah, I was going to say six figures easy. Yeah, I mean, that would be my auction estimate, but it's easily six figures because, again, you know, these are three of the most transcendent players in a scenario in 61. And uh, at the right, time. Yeah, yeah, and Lee, it has a great story behind it, too. So the provenance adds to the value of it that thing absolutely and you know, he had the ticket to the game you know it, it, yeah. he had other information it, it, you know whether it was three dollars you know it was ten dollars or a hundred thousand you know it was a phenomenal story and i'll tell you jeff i finished up the segment i asked him so so what'd you get for your 14th birthday <laughs> <laughs> that's right lee i want to really thank you i know we we went long on this and, and i really appreciate okay. your time I could I could talk hours uh, with baseball and, and collectibles with you. I, I think uh, it was it was great to learn about appraisals because it's, it's it's kind of a, a gray area for collectibles or collectors. When should they get stuff appraised? And I think you shed some light on that. I love hearing the stories of all the things that have come across your desk, guys. Check her website out. It is l e i l a dunbar.com if you have any questions just send her an email via her website and uh, she can help you out if you have any questions on appraisals or you want to learn uh just about uh what what your your stuff has and, and maybe she can point you in the in the right directions in terms of what stuff's worth uh, lee is a a great uh resource so i want to thank you very much for your time i really appreciate it jeff yes and look i'm going to just correct you on one thing so you can do your uh, intro again so I've probably filmed 200 segments on the road show, and I've probably done about 6,000 appraisals at this point. Ah, well, you cool. know what? You have, you have to update <laughs> your website. 
It's my own. Well, you know, I'm supposed to be launching a new website this year, and it's just I've I've actually been remiss. So it's my own fault. It's my own fault. All I right, I, I am I am sorry. No, <laughs> no I get a I get a C minus for research, I guess. <laughs> no, no, no. I should I should have let you know that. No, you've done a great job. They're great questions. Jeff's been so much fun. Happy to be on anytime. Thank you very much. It's been it's been a pleasure. Thank you. I appreciate it too, and I really appreciate your time and. and uh, Please, if you ever need anything, just please reach out and we'll have you on again. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you. I'd like to welcome our new sponsor, Collects. Looking at the value of trading cards can be a chore, but there's now an app that makes getting the market price as simple as snapping a photo. The app is called Collects, C-O-L-L-X, and it's free in the App Store and Google Play. After you scan your cards and get the values, you can build out your collection, list cards for sale, and make deals with other Collects users to buy and sell cards. Download Collects today. Visit share.collects.app backslash TTM to get $10 towards your first card purchase on Collects. Get Collects today. It's free. And get $10 towards your first card purchase. Go to share.collects.app backslash TTM. Get Collects today. It's free. Drew, the best part of uh, interviewing Lee was that she did everything off the top of her head. She was like, well, and got like, and she, she was like knew numbers. She knew when guys played, she knew players names. She knew everything. She was, she was like a, she was like a, a computer there with every, everything. And, and then I messed her up with the, 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 Mike, the judge home run ball. So I apologize mm -hmm. for that, but she was, she was a great interview. Um, and she was really fun. And she, she, uh, she's been doing it for so much, so, so many years. Uh, just a great resource, and I hope um, you know she gave she gave a great class on on when to get things appraised and how to get things appraised, and it was just a really fun interview. Cool. Well, Drew, Saturday, TTM Cast, right? A TTM Cast podcast. We have, uh, yes. Steve, we have Steve Lane. Stephen Lane wrote a brand new book on Mickey Mantle. He is the foremost Mickey Mantle collector. And we had Les Wolf was in the room with, with me. And Les and I interviewed Stephen about his book and about his uh, passion for Mickey Mantle. Les, of course, has a lot of interaction with Mickey Mantle. He shares some great stories about Mickey Mantle. That will be Saturday. And we're going to have uh, appraisals from Les. Les is going to do, uh, do appraisals. So if you do have anything that you want to send in Les to do a free appraisal. And it's not, it's not a written appraisal it's just a, a guesstimate you know an opinion please send me an email at ttmcast at yahoo.com and uh we'll we'll try to include it i think i have uh five or six right now and if you can send me one in that's that'll be seven so if maybe you get one more one or two more that'll be a great show it's gonna be a fun show with less so saturday Stephen lane talking mickey mantle and Les wolf doing appraisals that'll that's gonna be a great show make sure you turn tune in on saturday on next Wednesday, next Wednesday, we have Danny Black, who is the, um, I don't know, he's the, the the new, the founder and one of the, the heads behind this uh, new Daily Hobby News, dailyhobbynews.com. Drew, I don't know if you're signed up for it. They, they have uh, daily emails that they send out, and there's all sorts of cool stuff on their website. So I'm going to talk to Danny Black about uh, Daily Hobby News. That will be next Wednesday. Nice. Drew, anything else you want to add before I let you go? No, I think we're pretty good. Uh, covered, uh, got everything covered pretty well, and hopefully, my hopefully my mailbox is still gonna be full. We'll have plenty to talk about Saturday.
Me too. I agree. We're gonna wish for for a full full mailbox. In fact, I got I got an old one. I got one that was been out there probably for a year that came yep, in today. So so nice. it, it doesn't hurt to get get some old ones. Uh, guys, I want to wish everyone many happy returns. See you on Saturday. Be good.